Well, good evening. Welcome back. Good to see you tonight. It is darker, I noticed, since the time change, but that's all right. Good to have you back. We are at uh, the final stage here. <laughs> We've reached uh, Category 10 in the Basic Doctrinal Studies Notebook, hard to imagine. And uh, so uh, a week ago, we completed uh, the last of what we were dealing with in, in uh, ecclesiology. And uh, we're ready now to move on to, really, it's a sub-study. It's a category within ecclesiology, the study on spiritual gifts or charismatology. And depending on how you break it down and depending on how you uh, structure it, um, you could view spiritual gifts as a subset, a sub-study within the overall doctrine of the church, or you can remove it from the doctrine of the church and realize that there have been gifts in previous dispensations uh, for building the tabernacle, building the temple, sewing the priest garments, and so forth, um, even in the sense of, of equipping Noah to build the ark and other things. So we'll discuss the nature of, of these things and how giftedness transcends. Uh, there will be gifts, by the way, in the millennium. There will be prophets in the millennium. And, uh, but but um, the church age, though, is unique in the sense that the, the spiritual giftedness is universal. Uh, not everyone in the Old Testament had a gift. Barely anybody in the Holy Spirit had the Holy Spirit. And uh, in the millennium, only the Jews will have the gift of prophecy. They will be ministering to the Gentiles as per the, the, uh, the promise that's given in, in Joel 2 and verse 28. So um, I don't mind leaving charismatology as a sub-study within ecclesiology. I think that's appropriate as long as we understand uh, aspects that transcend the church, uh, both before and after. So uh, if we have any questions on that, we can take those as well. But let's open with a word of prayer, ask the Father to bless our time tonight, and see we have tonight, we have three Sundays in December, uh, because there is no evening service on Christmas Sunday or New Year's Day on January 1st. So we'll have a two-week break coming up. So um, whatever else happens, we have to finish this notebook in the next four Sundays. <laughs> All right. Shall we pray? Most gracious Heavenly Father, it is our blessing once again to assemble together tonight, and we thank you for this class and for those that make it back out. Uh, Father, we realize it requires two round trips uh, to be here Sunday morning and Sunday evening, but we thank you for the blessing that we have to come together, to study, to show ourselves approved to uh, examine these things, particularly the, uh, the basics that you've blessed us with here in these recent weeks. So, Father, we call upon your faithfulness yet again to open the eyes of our understanding and to, uh, to encourage us in this regard. I thank you, Father, in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Of all the times I've ever taught spiritual gifts, this may be the most difficult. And I say that because um, of what I'm teaching next hour. <laughs> and so... Um, it just so happens that uh, in, the, in the ministry workshop hour for the seminary students and the more advanced, deeper levels of things, we're dealing with spiritual gifts. Uh, but we're dealing with gifts and ministries and effects, and we're trying to encompass all three aspects of things. And so we can go ahead and use 1 Corinthians 12. I don't mind. We can use 1 Corinthians 12 as a starting point. Uh, I like to use passages as simply as I can, and when it's laid out there uh, in, in plain and simple ways, then anyone really can, can turn a Bible there and show their co-worker or their friend or their neighbor or their enemy or whoever it is that they're teaching and be able to show these things. So uh, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 4, verse 5, and verse 6. 
there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of ministries, and the same Lord. And there are varieties of effects, but the same God, who works all things in all persons. And so right here, in a trinity of verses, we have a trinity of, of, of principles uh, that are provided by a trinity of, of the Godhead. We have uh, the Holy Spirit, we have the Lord, and then we have, I believe, God the Father there in verse 6. Very common when, when you've already uh, mentioned the Son and the Holy Spirit in context. Then a term like theos, the term for God in verse 6, relates uniquely to the Father. And uh, that's the case here, undoubtedly because of uh, other passages as well that prove that it's the Father who's at work in you, both the will and the do of His good pleasure. Uh, it's the Father is the one that's working. And uh, since we have the workings connected here, then it's a, a natural correlation to make. But we have varieties, varieties and varieties. And in fact, we have varieties of translations, <laughs> depending on what English Bible you're reading. Uh, related to that. And it, I, I like the term varieties, although technically I think distributions would be a better term. Uh, the verb itself speaks of a distribution, distributing to each one as he wills. Um, and so uh, and particularly if we have a, a verb, like if you glance down to verse 11, one and the same spirit works all these things, distributing, you see that? to each one individually just as he wills. And so that's distributing. That's the verb. And so if I, if I uh, come up here with a, a handful of M&Ms and I start distributing them to the various uh, students in the class, then I'm the one distributing. And I, if I'm fair about it, I'll give everyone an equal share. If I'm not fair about it, then I'll you know, uh, give more to my favorite people and that kind of thing. But the idea is if I'm the one doing the distributing, then I'm in charge of the distribution, see? And that's the verb in verse 11, and that's the noun in verse 4, verse 5, and verse 6, all right? The cognate noun that's related to the verb in verse 11 is uh, the term that's translated as varieties. I think distributions is just fine. I don't have a problem with distributions as, uh, as a translation. There are distributions of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are distributions of ministries and the same Lord. And there are distributions of effects, but the same God who energetically works all things and all persons. And so, either way, however you want to render it in English, the, the concept, though, is that gifts are not the same thing as ministries. And ministries are not the same thing as effects, all right? And that we want to understand all three. If I'm going to pursue my gift, if I'm going to pursue my ministry, and if I'm going to achieve the effects that God has planned, because we are, as we saw this morning, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And, uh, and I think these, uh, these distinctions are, uh, are useful, and we'll come encounter that in, uh, in the notebook here tonight and in the coming weeks. So um, keeping in mind this breakdown, I'm going to try to keep it simple in this hour, in the basics class, and we're really going to focus mostly on the gifts not so ministries or effects. Even in this chapter, you'll notice we have verse 4, verse 5, and verse 6, and now we're all excited to expand on all this, but the Apostle Paul, for the rest of the chapter, only expands upon the gifted uh, emphasis from verse 4. And everything that follows in this chapter is all centered on the giftedness, not on the ministries or on the effects. And so um, we're going to follow the same pattern tonight as we simply explore the giftedness in, uh, in this outline. So 
Uh, reading from page 51 in the Basics Notebook, Doctrine of Spiritual Gifts, Charismatology, and that's vocabulary. All right, a charisma is a gift, and it refers to charis for grace. It's a, it's a grace thing. It's a gift. You didn't buy it, didn't deserve it, I gave it to you. It's a gift, <laughs> okay? And that's, uh, it's, a, it's a gift thing. It's a grace thing. And that's what a gift is. And so, um, unfortunate, of course, that a certain segment of Christianity has absconded with this term and laid claim to it, uh, because I would love to tell people that, of course, I'm charismatic. They're going to take it the wrong way, though, right? They're going to think I'm a Pentecostal or a Holy Roller or something. So I can't tell them that I'm charismatic. But I do have a gift. You have a gift. We all have gifts as far as that goes. I like to tell people I'm a Catholic, but that's also misleading because they just jump to the conclusion that I'm Roman Catholic. But no, I'm part of the church universal, all right? So, you know, you can be right in terms of vocabulary and and lexical definition, but entirely misleading in how people take it. So that's not exactly fair. Um, So charismatology is a doctrine of spiritual gifts. It's a study on the grace provision for the spiritual gifts of believers in the dispensation of the church. All right, technically now. Technically, charismatology intersects uh, ecclesiology, pneumatology, and eschatology. So we have the doctrine of the church, the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, uh, and the doctrine of last things or end times. All of these would be useful to study uh, in conjunction with uh, the doctrine of spiritual gifts. Um, All right. Old Testament spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts were given here and there. Prior to the dispensation of the church, there were craftsmen gifted for the construction of the tabernacle and the temple. And I don't have to spend a lot of time on it, but if you're not familiar with it, I would encourage you to take a look at Exodus chapter 31 and uh, learn about Bezalel and and, uh, the son of Uri and the son of Hur of the tribe of Judah. And, uh, And look what the Lord says here. I have filled him with the Spirit of God in wisdom, in understanding, in knowledge, and in all kinds of craftsmanship. And and to start off with, this almost sounds like we might have with some of our uh, temporary gifts in the early church, the word of wisdom, the word of knowledge, uh, the uh, spirit-imbued capacity to know these things, uh, to make artistic designs for work in gold and silver and in bronze, for the cutting of stones for settings and in the carving of wood that he may work all kinds of craftsmanship. And that's extraordinary to me, and to think about that kind of skill and that kind of knowledge and ability, uh, particularly speaking as one that has no talent of any kind whatsoever. I, I mean, trying to cut a straight line is, is impossible for me, even if there's a straight line printed on the paper. Uh, just trying to, the, the hand-eye coordination and the motor skills and the, and the capacity to cut a straight line with a saw or a pair of scissors or whatever is just, uh, is just not happening in, in my flesh. Um, but the idea of what uh, a spirit-guided hand can do, what a spirit-guided mind can do, and how God supernaturally empowers these craftsmen is, uh, is interesting. And he gets a, a partner here, Oholiab, in verse 6, the uh, son of Ahasamach of the tribe of Dan. And in the hearts of all who are skillful, I have put skill. So they've got an entire team. It's just these two are the foremen, you know, uh, or whatever you want to think of them as, the the leaders of the endeavor. And then they've got an entire team of skilled craftsmen. And God puts the skill in their heart that they may make all that I have commanded you, which is a good thing because they had a big work assignment in front of them, including the tabernacle, the the mercy seat, the furnishings, and, uh, and all the rest. 
All right, so Exodus 31, Exodus 35, and 36. A uh, similar ex- thing is, is seen in 1 Kings chapter 7. Um, we've got a fellow here, uh, Hiram from Tyre. He was a widow's son from the tribe of uh, Naphtali, and his father was a man of Tyre, a worker in bronze. And he was filled with wisdom and understanding and skill for doing any work in bronze. So he came to King Solomon and performed all his work in these two pillars that sat in front of the temple and so forth. More detail for that in Second Chronicles chapter 2. Also, of course, prophets. We're very familiar with the gift of prophet, the Old Testament prophet. Although uh, you might ask yourself, is it really fair to say that those men were gifted as prophets? Or was it simply a reality that certain men that were called by God into a prophetic ministry or in a prophetic office, that they remained faithful as the Spirit of God came to them? (laughs) Okay, And we may never be able to answer that since we don't have the level of detail in the Old Testament. But if the Spirit of God came upon somebody, that seems to be a different uh, concept than what we have with an indwelling, a permanent indwelling of God the Holy Spirit necessarily. Uh, But of course, we've been in Jeremiah and Isaiah now forever, and we understand the role of Old Testament prophets and and, uh, so forth. Many of them are mentioned in connection with the Holy Spirit, as the Spirit would come upon them. And uh, the Spirit came upon King Saul even, which caused people to question, is Saul also among the prophets? And uh, aspects there. Even an occasional Gentile nation, and I believe Balaam was such a uh, prophet, called a prophet, and speaking face-to-face with Yahweh, by the way, as a Gentile prophet, a for-hire prophet, right? Or a for-profit prophet in, uh, in his downfall related to that. All right, so that's a pattern in the Old Testament. Likewise, in the future, in the millennium, there will be an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. That's promised, Joel 2, 28 and 29. And uh, this is also useful, by the way. I'm kind of taking us slowly into, this, into the subject matter here. All right, but I think it's useful. Some of the principles and concepts that we find here uh, will be a blessing for us when we get into the New Testament, for example. Um, the idea of a temporary gift is not weird. It's not strange. In fact, it's normal, very normal, up until the church age where we have permanent indwelling of the Holy Spirit and permanent giftedness, see. Um, but in my contacts and discussions with Pentecostals and other more charismatic brethren, they've, uh, they've, they've, they've been offended at the idea of a temporary spiritual gift. The very concept seems to offend them. And so uh, I've, I've been very blessed over the years to take this approach to say, well, you know, would you agree that the gift of tabernacle building is no longer given today? Because it's not necessary. It wouldn't serve the purpose of God. And God's not a moron. He doesn't give gifts where they're not needed. You know, the skill for Noah and his sons to build the ark and things like that. Why would God give that kind of skill today if if no one's building an ark or there's no command or no need? Uh, Likewise, the gift of apostle. And so I I get them to think with me and kind of work way through and then look at the gift of apostleship and say, well, wait a minute, if this is a foundational purpose, why would it still be given centuries after the foundation was done? Why? What would that serve? What would be the point of of a revelatory gift once the canon is complete, for example? I mean, if if Revelation closes the canon and it says that it does, what would be the point of of discerning spirits and, and, and all these things that were intended to identify the canon of Scripture as it was being written in the first century. And so uh, if we take these little introductory steps and we lay some groundwork and we 
actually do ourselves a huge favor down the road when we start to come to these other questions. Uh, the, the book of Joel, Joel 2, 28 and 29, has a, a promise that is uh, frequently spoken of as being fulfilled uh, in the day of Pentecost, and that's a problem because people are misreading Acts 2. Peter doesn't say they're fulfilled, but he uses this as his explanation in Acts chapter 2. It'll come about after this, and when you read Joel 2, you realize the after this is the tribulation. Okay, Sun, moon, and stars falling to the earth, and, and all the wrath of God poured upon the, uh, Israel and the Gentile nations. It will come about after this that I will pour out my spirit on all mankind, and your sons and daughters will prophesy, your old men will dream dreams, your young men will see visions. Even on the male and female servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. And the uh, connection here appears to be the Jewish people and in any Gentiles that might be in the picture would be listed there as the male and female servants that uh, will come and voluntarily be servants to the Jewish people in the millennial kingdom. Uh, but here's a promise of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, and it is future. It is millennial. It hasn't happened yet. This is not fulfilled in Acts 2, and when Peter says this is that, he's illustrating, he's not demonstrating a fulfillment. All right? And so, uh, and it shouldn't be difficult. Um, it will come that I will pour out my spirit on all mankind. Did the entire human race receive God the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost in 33 AD? No, of course not. Not even every believer received the Holy Spirit in the upper room on Pentecost in 33 AD. Uh, it came in various stages uh, as the apostles traveled and encountered different Old Testament believers in different places. Um, your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Dream dreams, see visions. You know, the, what was mentioned in Acts 2 wasn't prophecy or visions or dreams, it was tongues. And uh, quite a contrast there in Acts chapter 2 with the tongues that were being spoken. And uh, if you want to read some complicated reading, read the, the Charismatics or the Pentecostals uh, trying to prove that tongues is prophecy or prophecy is tongues and try to, try to claim that it was all the same thing and fulfilled there. Um, not so, all right? And uh, even on the male and female servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. I will display the wonders in sky and on earth, blood, fire, columns, and smoke. So again, if we go back to the day of the Lord context for the second advent of Jesus Christ. This is not a church age text. This is a, a promise to Israel and the role that the Jewish people will have in the end times. So because of that then, now we see the intersection with eschatology. We have uh, the intersection here. If you're going to study charismatology, then uh, you have to connect it in certain ways with ecclesiology and with eschatology to show the prophetic or the end times uh, concepts. Now, Peter did cite this passage to describe the events of Pentecost in Acts 2, but when he cited it, he didn't say fulfilled. He said, this is that which, and he's using language that speaks of an illustration. This is that which... Joel spoke of. It's an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. It's not the same outpouring of the Holy Spirit, but it is an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And so, you know, don't be shocked if, um, if uh, you know, we're not drunk. <laughs> we are filled with the Spirit, all right? And for the first time ever, filled with the Spirit, and dwelled and filled, and for the first time ever as the church is birthed on this, uh, on this amazing day. And you might imagine, how overwhelming could that have been? For an Old Testament believer to be ushered into the body of Christ and to be so indwelled and to be so filled when you've never had a taste of it before, right? And, and again, I, I 
the body of the scripture alludes to drunkenness and, and alcohol with, with the, the spirit. So do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the spirit. Now imagine, here's, here's people that have never experienced this before. Now all of a sudden, man, they are filled. See? But they're not out of their minds, of course. They're not, you know, they're speaking in these languages and they don't even know what they're saying until an interpreter comes along <laughs> and says, ah, that's what we're saying. All right, so Old Testament gifts, millennial gifts, the context of Acts chapter 2. Clearly it's millennial, not church. I even put a little diagram in there for you in the notebook to kind of show you distinctions to be found between Joel 2 and Acts 2. Um, We're not talking about a tribulational context or deliverance from the Gentiles. Uh, The Spirit is poured out on all mankind as opposed to a select group of believers in Jerusalem. Uh, Jewish people receiving the gift of prophecy, uh, no mention of tongues whatsoever. Spirit-filled church members began speaking in tongues, no mention of prophecy whatsoever. All right, And even in the sense of millennial giftedness, if every Jewish person in the millennium is in that prophetic office, gifted with prophecy, well, that's, that's, that's quite a bit different than what you and I have here in the church, where there's varieties of gifts and varieties of ministries and varieties of effects. You know, where we have pastors and evangelists and givers and helpers and teachers and encouragers and, and comfort, uh, uh, you know, all these varieties of gifts. <laughs> We're not all prophets here in the church age. But every Jewish person will have in that prophetic office in the, in the coming millennium. And they will serve the Gentiles in that capacity. So, the future role of Israel with a prophetic ministry towards the Gentiles is an eschatological study and a pneumatological study. That is the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. It touches upon ecclesiastical charismatology, but must be as clearly distinguished as the Old Testament manifestations of spiritual giftedness. So I don't mind looking at it. It's useful to look at, especially as a contrast with what Israel had, contrasted with what we have now, what Israel has promised, contrasted with what we have now. And it becomes useful, only so far as that goes. All right. Any questions on that? Does that make sense? Is that clear? Is that fuzzy? Question right here. Can we get a microphone, please? We'll see if you're as efficient as your little brother. So are gifts and and uh, spiritual gifts synonymous or is spiritual gifts sort of a subset of the gifts? Are they anonymous? Synonymous. Oh, synonymous. Synonymous with... I mean, are they both the same thing? Yes. Gift equals spiritual gift? Gift equals spiritual gift, right. And and what we've really done is we've created a blend. We've created a... Um, what's that called? A... A portmanteau, I think, when you take one term and another term and you mash them together. Um, because there are passages in the New Testament that call them charismata, gift things. And then there are passages in the New Testament that call them pneumatica, spirit things. And so depending on whether you're in Romans or First Corinthians or First Peter 4 or wherever you are, um, it might be a charismata you're talking about or it might be a, a pneumata you're talking about. But it's the same thing. And so we kind of mash them together uh, to say that it's, they're gift things or they're spirit things. Yes, they are spiritual gift things, and that's what they are. So excellent question. All right. Now, as far as we're concerned, the rest of this study is going to center on the church. And so technically, we're going to talk about ecclesiastical spiritual gifts or ecclesiastical charismatology. We're going to limit 
the basic study tonight and in the coming weeks, we're going to limit it only to the church age. Our present stewardship of the church features grace gifts, spiritual gifts, or, uh, and here's the vocabulary right here. Is that large enough? Do I need to make it larger? We're, we're, we're good? All right. Oh, well, maybe if I turn the projector on. What's wrong with you people? 634 and you're just not telling me. All right. All right. Okay. It will go faster. <laughs> All right. We'll see how long it takes to wake up and get with the program. Ah, not bad. All right. <laughs> Ecclesiastical spiritual gifts, or ecclesiastical charismatology. Our present stewardship of the church. And again, we're talking about Pentecostal rapture, right? The present evil age in which we live is called the church. And we've been in the church since uh, 50 days after Christ died on the cross, the day of Pentecost of 33 AD. I think that works out to uh, Sunday, May 24th or something like that, May 23rd. Um, of 33 AD, and uh, continues today, continues tonight, and uh, hopefully ends uh, momentarily. It can end at any moment. It can end when that trumpet sounds and we get caught up to be with the Lord in the air. There is no prophesied, uh, there's no calendar that tells us how much longer it must go, and I'm actually shocked it's taken this long, okay, and uh, as far as that goes. That's where we are, presently in the church, and this features grace gifts or spiritual gifts, called charismata. Again, that's charis with a neuter plural ending. Uh, Strong's number is 5486, if you want to look that up. They're also referred to as pneumatica. And uh, again, that's pneuma for spirit, uh, with a tika ending on it. So uh, it's uh, uh, spirit things, okay, neuter plural. Strong's number 4152. And uh, they're used freely, interchangeably, depending on what you want to stress, the spiritual component, the Holy Spirit component of it, or the grace component of it. They're both true. God the Holy Spirit is the one that gives your gift the day you're saved, and God the Holy Spirit is the one that constantly empowers it every time that it's employed. Every gift, every time the gift is employed, it is a manifestation of the Holy Spirit for the common good. And so we exhibit Holy Spirit power, empowerment every time we function in our spiritual gift given on a universal basis. Every believer today has at least one spiritual gift. And it depends on how you read 1 Peter 4.10. Each one has received a gift. Could be more than one. You can't rule that out. If, uh, if you have two or if you have three, I was reading somebody the other day that said the Apostle Paul had all 20 gifts. And... Um, that's one way to look at it. Or you could say the gift of apostle includes all 20 gifts, and, and there you go. Okay, um, Because we know that he spoke in tongues. We know that he prophesied. We know that he did miracles. We know that he, he uh, healed. We know that, uh, I mean, all these functions that we see, um, we can see within the gift of the apostle, or within the ministry activities of the apostle Paul. Um, but at least one. And uh, I, I tend to think that multiple gifts are possible, um, but you can't die on that hill and, and prove it linguistically. You can't pro- prove it grammatically based on this passage or any other passage. But at least one, at least one, no question about that. 
As each one has received a gift, use it. (laughs) God didn't give it to you to have it. He gave it to you to employ it, to use it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. It actually is an insult to grace to have a gift and not use it. To have a gift and not even try to figure out what it is. To not even um, uh, uh, think that it matters whether you know it or not or can use it or not. Are we not called upon to serve one another? Of course we are. And this passage tells us to. Good stewards of the manifold grace of God. And then in a useful, very useful division here, Peter breaks all the gifts down into two broad um, categories. Speaking and serving. All right, breaks them down into two broad categories. Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. And then clearly there are speaking gifts, communication gifts we call them, pastor, teacher, evangelist, exhortation, teacher. Uh, those gifts are speaking gifts. Okay, And then there are serving gifts, helps and and leader and administration and, and giving and, and uh, mercy showing and all the uh, support uh, functions of the, of the serving gifts. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies. You can't do any of this in human effort. God the Holy Spirit is empowering every giftedness. So use the Spirit's power. Don't use your own. By the strength which God supplies, so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. And so here is is a very useful passage. It's short, it's simple. Peter takes uh, all of the, the, the concepts that come to us from Paul in Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12 and, and lays it out there on a simple basis. You have a gift, use it. And if it's a speaking gift, <laughs> man, be fearful before the Lord. Absolutely, you're speaking the utterances of God. How dare you stand up and say, thus saith the Lord, and it's not coming from God. It's, it's your own imagination, all right? Um, and then serving, he who serves by the strength which God supplies. And so it's a useful breakdown, all right? And it's, uh, it's kind of a uh, um, simple way to kind of put things in boxes, which we like to do. Um, but having said that, uh, don't think for a moment that if your gift is a serving gift, that you're now off the hook and you never have to speak ever, right? Say, sorry, I'm a serving gift, you know, go ask my pastor, all right? You may be asked to speak on an occasion. You have to be ready to speak on an occasion. You have to be ready to give an account for the hope that is within you. Every one of us may have those open doors presented to evangelize and don't you dare say, oh, well, let me go find a gifted evangelist to tell you about Christ, all right, that door is open for you. You have a speaking opportunity, even though your primary gift in your main realm is is typically in the in the serving capacity. All right, and in some respects, that itself then becomes noteworthy because someone that's typically always serving, always serving, never speaking, never speaking, when they do speak up, does that ever grab your attention? You're like, wow, wasn't expecting that. Where'd that come from? That that. That's uh, that's the Holy Spirit working there. I don't usually hear so much out of that person. <laughs> I'm glad I did. Okay. Let me turn the tables. Um, just because you are a communicator, don't think that you're off the hook and you never have to serve. <laughs> okay. You know that you're uh, somehow you're above it all, or how you know you wouldn't dream of taking out the trash or brewing a pot of coffee or changing a diaper or whatever else and saying, oh, well, I'm, I'm not here to serve. I'm, I'm above that. 
okay? I'm a, I'm a communicator. I'm, I should be teaching the Word of God. Well, there may be occasions when this door opens as well. And uh, if that's presented before you, then serve. Faithfully serve in, uh, in those realms. All right. The new believer needs to understand that the impartation of divine power is not given for the pursuit of miraculous events or the participation in ecstatic experience. We don't want to get wrapped up in the gee whiz. We don't want to be, woo, you know. Uh, in the fact, in the book of Acts, I think Simon, uh, there was a magician that was all uh, amazed at what the apostles were doing, and he, he thought he could buy his way into this, and he, he was uh, excited. And that's not what it's about. Even, even those who could do miracles weren't doing the miracles to make money off it or to pursue some kind of a sensational thing. Spiritual gifts are provided for grace service to members of the body of Christ, employed in serving one another as good stewards in the manifold grace of God. My gift, I don't, I'm not here to pastor me, I'm here to pastor you. This is the, the nature of my gift and the nature of your gift. Every gift is designed not for you but for those around you in the body of Christ, for you to be serving others. All right. This next section is, I think, significant. And, and I've done more reading on this in uh, recent weeks. And um, I've encountered some interesting people. People that I do respect, for the most part, in their authorship and in their scholarship. Um, but they seem to bother me. And I'll tell you why. Um, because they are going beyond the bounds of Scripture in uh, a very inventive way, a very creative way. Um, and, and, and when they do that, I get uncomfortable, frankly. I, I want to know, well, show me in the text. Show me in the text. If you think you have a gift of such and such, show me in the text. All right? And, and if it's not in the text then what's the basis for accepting this as a gift? I, I'd want to be cautious in, in proceeding in that regard. So, we do have scriptural authority for spiritual gifts. And we have texts that are given. We 1 Corinthians 12-14, through 14, a three-chapter section, by the way. Starting in chapter 12, tra- uh, traversing the love paragraph in chapter 13, which we think about as a love paragraph, it's a spiritual gift paragraph, honestly, that mentions love, right? And then uh, shows love is essential to all giftedness. And then uh, continues on through the end of 13 and 14 to talk about the cessation of those gifts that do cease. And so it is the longest and most thorough passage. That's the one that we want to focus on. If it's the longest and most thorough, start there. All right, Make that the centerpiece of your inductive Bible study. And then add to it the other passages that are shorter and, and simpler and, and, and have the connection to the, the main passage. So the great love passage is contained within the context of a three-chapter discourse on spiritual gifts. The most complete listing of individual gifts is given in this passage. A secondary text, which complements 1 Corinthians 12 very well, is Romans 12. Romans 12, verses 6 through 8. And so we do a lot of back and forth. We do a lot of flipping between 1 Corinthians 12 and Romans 12. We go back and forth. But ultimately, Romans 12 is a very short list. It's not as long. It's not as comprehensive. And that's to be expected, given that uh, Romans was written after 1 Corinthians was written. You know, why would Paul go back and rehash everything in 1 Corinthians? He's giving them a brief treatise in, in Romans. But they have access to the text and can apply 1 Corinthians as well. 
All right. Secondary text for spiritual gift studies must examine Ephesians 4.11. He gives some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers. And that, again, we want to look at that. We want to look at it in a very precise context. Equipping. Because 1 Corinthians 12 is not necessarily dealing with equipping. Romans 12 is not necessarily dealing with equipping the way that Ephesians 4 is. All right? The equipping of the saints for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ. Also, Ephesians 4 is not talking about the Holy Spirit giving gifts to believers. Ephesians 4 is talking about Jesus Christ giving gifted believers to particular local churches. The Holy Spirit has given the gift of evangelist and the gift of pastor-teacher to those believers. Jesus Christ then gives those gifted believers to the local churches where they need to be in Jesus Christ's wisdom as the head of the church. All right? Is that making sense? Because when it says he gave some as apostles, some as prophets, the he there is Jesus Christ. He's the one who descended. He's the one who ascended. He's the one that's fulfilling psalms in this application, right? What psalm is that? I'll hover and cheat. Psalm 68. All right. When he ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives. Okay? And so Jesus is the fulfillment of this. He's the one that descended into Sheol. He's the one that led the captives captive out of Sheol. He's the one that transferred paradise to the third heaven. He is the one that, in fact, when you read, when you read Psalms, he's the one receiving gifts. <laughs> Jesus gets those gifts with the captives that he's bringing up to heaven. And then seated at the Father's right hand, he then begins to dispense gifts back to the earth. And so Psalms is adapted in Ephesians here in a very beautiful way. But clearly, it's not the Holy Spirit that's giving some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers. It's Jesus Christ doing this. And so uh, that becomes an, an important study as well. Now that gets you deeper into what basics probably should be touching on, but I don't mind sharing that with you tonight. Okay, it's in the notebook. Um, it is a secondary text for spiritual gift studies, and you want to you want to deal with it. So, um, point of fact, uh, in September of 1973, uh, when I got saved, um, uh, I've told you this story repeatedly and you're, you're tired of hearing it, but uh, that, that's when it happened, okay? And when that happened, uh, a little four-year-old little guy, almost five, okay, um, I got saved and I received the pastor-teacher gift at that moment but I had no idea. Nobody does, right? All you know is, hey, I'm saved. I'm not going to go to hell when I die. And this is pretty good. My sins are forgiven. <laughs> and, uh, and the next morning, my mother introduced me to the pastor and said, you have a new brother in Christ. And, and my pastor, this old man, you know, introduced himself as my brother now. And I thought that was kind of strange. Um, but um, I received that gift of pastor teacher at that time. It was not until November of 1995, though, that Jesus Christ gifted me to the flock of Austin Bible Church when Pastor Ralph Braun departed. See, he gives gifted pastors and teachers. He gives gifted evangelists. God gifted Austin Bible Church with evangelist Doug Clark. All right? Other evangelists that we have. These evangelists are given. And if no evangelist is given, then a pastor has to knock it out himself. Timothy was told to do the work of an evangelist. See, 
until such time as God gives you an evangelist, then he can do the work. <laughs> All right. Other passages. 1 Peter 4, which we were just looking at. Another passage which casts illumination upon the subject. And, and uh, you wouldn't want to develop a whole doctrine out of just this verse right here. But once you've gone through the comprehensive material in chapters 12, 13, and 14 of 1 Corinthians, once you've had the very comprehensive study of, of spiritual gifts in that chapter, then go to Romans 12, go to Ephesians 4, go to 1 Peter 4, bring in the details and some additional uh, insight, some additional illumination. Uh, some of the finer points of study can then uh, uh, you know, be, be put on the topic. All right. Varieties and sameness. That's what I started with. Verse 4, 5, and 6 of 1 Corinthians 12. The introduction to the primary New Testament text concerning spiritual gifts presents three facets of gifting that ought to be recognized. Gifts, ministries, and effects are related yet distinct concepts as the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit equip members of the church. All right? And so don't confuse a gift with a ministry. My gift of pastor-teacher happens to be presently engaged in the pulpit ministry of a local church. But it doesn't have to be. God could open doors of ministry in all kinds of places, all kinds of fields. A gifted pastor may find himself a chaplain in a hospital, may find himself as a chaplain in a jail or a prison somewhere, could be a missionary overseas. Uh, Jim Myers, for example, is a, and, uh, we had Kevin Pashalak here this morning. Wasn't that great? Uh, the surprise blessing there. Kevin is a, has a pastor-teacher gift. And uh, for some, I, I don't know, 20 years or so, pastor at a church in Houston. But uh, in these recent years now, has, uh, he and his wife have been in Kenya and uh, teaching at Moffat Bible College in, in Kenya. So he, same gift. He never traded in his gift for anything or swapped it out for a different gift. How do you do that? You get your gift when you're saved. Uh, so, uh, but different doors of ministry that open and presently has ministry at the, at the Bible College teaching Bible study methods and teaching uh, other facets of, of theology okay? on the mission field. There's varieties of ministries. Same gift, different ministries. And then different effects. Different effects. So, um, are we clear on this? Who gives you your gift? Father, Son, or Holy Spirit? Holy Spirit. And who empowers your gift? Holy Spirit. All right. And who, uh, who leads in the ministry? Father, Son, or Holy Spirit? It's the Son, actually. Jesus. There are a variety of ministries, but one Lord. All right. And understand that. The Holy Spirit has given you your gift, and the Holy Spirit empowers it. But he does not usurp Jesus Christ's role as the head of the church. Jesus is the head of the church. Jesus opens doors and closes doors. He opens doors no man can shut. He closes doors no man can keep open. And so when you think about ministries, understand this is you following the Lord, following Jesus Christ, walking with the Lord. And, uh, and he's the head of the church. He assigns the ministries. He absolutely assigns those ministries. And so it's useful to think of the Spirit with the gift and the Son with the ministries, but then God the Father with the effects. A gifted believer pursuing a ministry with Jesus Christ then is going to achieve some effects. He may not see them. <laughs> but he'll achieve them nonetheless 
And your father who sees in secret will repay because your father who sees in secret is the father who's doing these effects. It's God who's at work in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. And these effects that are achieved, you may not even learn about for years. You may find out years later, oh, was there a work done there? I didn't know. (laughs) Wow. You mean God did something with that? I thought that was a waste of time. Yeah, God did something with that. God did some amazing things with that. You know, uh, thanks for your participation. (laughs) Thanks for your faithfulness and your obedience and your willingness to serve. Because you served in ways beyond anything you even knew. Anything you could ask or think. All right, so Father, Son, and Holy Spirit equip members of the church. Significantly, only the concept of gifts and the person of the Holy Spirit are then amplified in the following context of the passage. So as you work your way through chapter 12, it's all about the Spirit, it's all about these gifts. As you work your way through chapter 13, it's all about these gifts and um, those that are going to uh, be done away with. And then uh, in chapter 14, again, it's gifts pursue love it desire earnestly spiritual gifts especially that you may prophesy and and the need for order and edification that comes out here in this chapter so these chapters are huge but they are amplifications of gifts not amplifications of ministries or effects all right paul never gets to those topics in uh, in this book all right purpose of spiritual gifts the why not for the gee whiz value. They have both a general and particular purposes. In general, every gift is a manifestation of the Holy Spirit. I keep saying that. Why do I keep saying that? Well, verse 7. What's it say? To each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. That's what your gift is. That's what my gift is. It is the manifestation of the Spirit. Right? And the Holy Spirit is described, Scripture describes the Holy Spirit as that wind thing, that mysterious, unknowable, unseen wind thing. We don't know what causes the wind. We don't know where it's coming from. We don't know what direction it's coming from until it hits us. (laughs) And then, oh, that's where the wind is coming from. And oh, that's how strong it is, right? Because it's invisible. You can't see it. You have no idea if it's going to be just a light little gust or a little puff or a, a more stronger uh, blow or what it might be until it hits you and then you can feel oh that was a pretty good blast of wind right there oh you know um you might see other effects nearby if there's stuff blowing past you wow okay if you see the trees in the distance and they're waving right i used to think that's what caused the wind (laughs) wind gets caused by a bunch of waving trees no anyway um the, uh, but the nature of, of your giftedness is that when it is employed, you know it. You feel it. It's evident. You know it. Others know it. Just like when the wind blows and you feel it. And so when the Spirit is moving, when the Spirit is empowering, when, uh, when, that, when that is accomplished and you look back with hindsight and go, wow, I couldn't have done that. <laughs> it certainly wasn't me. That wasn't my wisdom, wasn't my empowerment, wasn't my memory. And you realize it was all of God. So every gift is a manifestation of the Holy Spirit. And they are to be utilized for the edification of the body of Christ. The prime directive for spiritual gift employment, edification. Edification, edification, edification. 
Let all things be done for edification. That is the building up of the body of Christ. The common good, right? The common good. And what's the common good? Sum Pharaoh. That is building up together. The common good. 1 Corinthians 14, 26. What is the outcome, brethren? When you assemble, each one has a psalm, has a teaching, has a revelation, has a tongue, has an interpretation. And you got eight gifted believers in the church and uh, eight of them have something to say. A lot of them were verbal in the, in the first century, in the, in the foundational age. Let all things be done for edification. Rule of thumb, prime directive. Let all things be done for edification. If it doesn't edify, why are you doing it? 1 Peter 4.10, which we've read a couple times, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. We should be edifying the body of Christ. So there's the general purpose. Rule of thumb, edify. (laughs) Serve one another. In addition to the general purpose of all gifts, particular gifts either had or continue to have particular purposes. The purpose of the pastor-teacher gift is different than the purpose of the giving gift or the purpose, the specific purpose of the evangelism gift or the specific purpose of, of any other gift. All right, Each one of these gifts, in addition to the general purpose of building up the body of Christ, has specific purposes that pertain to that gifted function. And so uh, this, this is important too because if that particular purpose is not around anymore... Does it make sense for God to continue to give that gift? So of paramount uh, importance, it must be understood. Let me say this again. In addition to the general purpose of all gifts, particular gifts either had or continue to have particular purposes. What was the purpose for the gift of tongues, for example? The gift of tongues had a very specific purpose. And 1 Corinthians 12 tells, or 14 tells us what that purpose was. It was a sign to those who do not believe. And it cites Isaiah. Specifically, it cites Isaiah. And we have the prophecy from Isaiah that tells us that the gift of tongues is a sign, it is a warning to the Jewish people of their coming national destruction. This is vital. Because once you understand that purpose... You realize that Gentiles speaking in, 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 in this way, that Jewish people hearing Gentiles speaking to them was a sign that they had lost their stewardship, that they're about to lose their country. So, and does it make any, and this course was fulfilled when Titus destroyed Jerusalem in 70 AD. There's no record anywhere in the scriptures in church history and traditions or anything, of legitimate tongue-speaking after 70 A.D. In fact, it disappeared for 1,900 years. It wasn't until modern times then, a Sousa Street revival and some other things, that Christianity started to, again, try to uh, replicate the first century phenomena. Okay? Using, I think, sadly, uh, demonic practices that are found throughout Africa and Asia and different places. Glossolalia, by the way, is a, is a facet of a lot of pagan cultures. There are a lot of tribal places that, that have glossolalia, that uh, have spirit-powered uh, babblings, but it's fallen angels. It's demonic empowerment to the babblings that they're doing. All right, well, we'll talk about that. Um, 
So if the purpose continues, like the purpose of a pastor-teacher gift, clearly for the duration of the church age, we're going to need pastors till the rapture, till the trumpet sounds. We're going to need evangelists till the trumpet sounds. We're going to need giving and helps and all these other. The permanent giftedness reflects the permanent ongoing purpose for those gifts in, uh, in the will of God, in, the, in what's explained in the New Testament. So it must be understood that the ecclesiastical gifts of apostle and prophet had the particular purpose of building the foundation of the church and revealing the mystery doctrine of Christ. So let's spend some time on this. Ephesians 2.20 and Ephesians 3.5. Let's understand what the particular purposes were for the apostles and the prophets. Revealing, uh, building the foundation of the church and revealing the mystery doctrine of Christ. So Ephesians 2.20 Verse 19 says, You are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Notice when he's talking to the believers in Ephesus, he's already speaking of a structure that is being built on top of a completed foundation. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. All right, and so this is uh, critical. I think it's, it's vital to understand what is the New Testament. Why, after 400 silent years, do we all of a sudden start having scriptures being written again? And why are they now being written in Greek instead of, uh, you know, the, uh, uh, all the previous works were all written in Hebrew? What we have today is 39 Old Testament books were all originally written in Hebrew, 24 Old Testament uh, Hebrew uh, books. Now they're being written in Greek. Now we have mystery doctrine that's unfolding. It goes on to say, um, yeah, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole building fitted, being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. And so this is a, just a, a beautiful metaphor here, the picture of what the, the body of Christ is and how the body of Christ serves uh, in, this, in this way. We get to chapter 3, Ephesians chapter 3, and it continues. Um, for this reason, I, for this reason, so everything we just were looking at in chapter 2, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace, which was given to me for you. And this is our definition. These are foundational passages that help us understand what the church is. That by revelation there was made known to me the mystery, as I wrote before in brief. And by referring to this, when you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which in other generations was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now, this present generation that is, those living at this time, as it is now, been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets in the Spirit. And you see what he did there in verse 5? See, if all we had was verse 4 by itself, we could very easily cross into the hyper-dispensational crowd. We could very, uh, very easily pass into Acts 9 dispensationalists or pass into the Pauline cult that only accepts Romans through... Uh, through uh, Titus or Philemon and, the, and then ignores everything else and says, oh, that's Jewish, that's Jewish. 
First, second, third John, that's Jewish. First, second Peter, that's Jewish. Hebrews, that's Jewish. And they ignore all that. And they lock in strictly on, on Romans through Philemon. As if that's our Bible in this church age. And they become Paul worshipers, essentially. Sad. Well, if verse 4 was by itself, I might be tempted to, to slide into that thinking. Ooh, Paul here had some special insight into the mystery of Christ. But was he unique in that? Was he alone in that? Was he the only God to be given church age information? What about Peter? What about James? What about John? What about all those other apostles? The 12 apostles of the Lamb? What about all those guys? You know, what about Barnabas? What did he do with these other apostles in the New Testament? Why, why would it be Paul and Paul only to receive this? Especially when he expands it himself here in verse 5. As it has now been revealed to his holy apostles, plural, and prophets, plural, in the Spirit. So obviously, um, the hyper-dispensational crowd, the Acts 9 crowd, is, is, is wrong in, in what they're doing. All right? All right, so laying the foundation of the church and revealing the mystery doctrine of Christ. This is why a distinction is drawn between apostolic church and post-apostolic church. See? Apostolic and post-apostolic. So in my diagram then, bring this up, open, uh, I take the church there and I break it down into the age of the apostles and the age of the local church. Break it down into apostolic and post-apostolic eras within the church. And they are distinct. They are the, the circumstances of the apostolic age are unique, not replicated in the, in the post-apostolic age. Okay? And, and interestingly enough, if you read the church fathers, they, they address this very clearly. You read Polycarp and Tertullian and all these guys, and they're talking about the fact that they were second generation, third generation, and so forth. The apostles were gone. They knew the apostles were gone. They knew the canon was closed. They knew there would be no more New Testament given. They knew that, that the temporary gifts were done. It was only in the 18th century and 19th century that the effort was made to try to revolve, uh, revive those things that had been done away, as Scripture describes them, done away. All right. Now this should be straightforward. We ought to be simple. This ought to be simple. This is presented here. It's presented in, in Grace Notes. It's presented in so many other studies. Remarkably enough, though, as Kevin mentioned this morning, as Pastor Pashalak mentioned this morning, if you go to Africa... They don't know this, <laughs> okay? And you're going to encounter all kinds of charismatics and all kinds of people calling themselves apostles, calling themselves uh, prophets and all these things. And so it's, it's helpful to, to show them these things, to show them the scriptures and to lay it out there and say, you know what? This is my conviction based upon the study of the text. And uh, leave it with them for their application and, and trust <laughs> that they love the Lord and they are humble before the scriptures they're going to start to modify their understanding of certain things, okay? Not because, you know, we're going over there to fix it or to straighten them out or whatever, but we want to be able to, to come alongside and explain things more accurately. We're going to want to be able to fulfill kind of a Priscilla and Aquila function uh, as they were able to do to Apollos and just in grace to be able to, you know, not in front of all their people and not challenging them and in some kind of a showdown in their village or whatever. No, 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 but just quietly, you know, Steve Arnold and I were able to do this, sitting in a, in a, in a, on a porch and drinking some tea and, you know, 
hey, uh, why do you call yourself apostle? You know, uh, do you view yourself as an equivalent to Paul and Peter and those first century guys? And are you laying a foundation? Are you writing scripture? You know, and and uh, some of it's simply cultural, and some of it's just a legacy of what they received with different missionaries that went through there at different times. And oftentimes, they honestly they don't know. <laughs> they just they just say, well, it's kind of what we do. Well, okay. <laughs> Let all things be done for edification. I think uh, in many cases, well, Benny, first of all, is the one I know the most and best, but he, he, we would think of him more as a missionary evangelist, and he, he's going from place to place, and city to city, he's training men, he's doing all these things. And, and the, here's the thing, the ministry that he is engaged in is not unlike the first century evangelism ministry of the apostles. It's just not the giftedness of the apostles, say. Peter and Titus and Timothy were engaged in the apostolic ministry as they were serving the apostle Paul. But they didn't have the gift of apostle. They had their pastor gifts, see. All right. Well, I'm going to stop here. Uh, It is 710. Uh, We'll come on. Uh, We got the the chart to look at next, the biblical list of spiritual gifts. And I prefer to start there. I prefer to start with those lists and keep it there. If it's on a list, I can can deal with it. If it's in the scripture, I can deal with it. If there's other gifts, some people put the gift of celibacy on their list of giftedness because uh, Paul says, uh, you know, uh, it's not good for the man to be alone, but each one has his gift. I wish that all men could be like me, but not everyone has, you know, has that. Each one is gifted. And on the basis of that, almost a passing reference in a throwaway kind of way, um, there are folks that look at that and view celibacy as a, as a particular gift. Well, all right. At least they can point to a scripture. <laughs> I think there's a lot of other people out there claiming gifts, and I don't think they can point to any kind of a scripture with respect to that. So anyway, like I said, it makes me uncomfortable. If... Um, if we're cutting loose from the moorings of Scripture, then, well, okay. Let me pray about that as far as that goes. All right. Any final questions, final thoughts, comments, compliments, criticisms, donations? No? Okay. <laughs> all right, let's close in prayer. Father, thank you for this day, for your faithfulness, for all your glory, for all, all the giftedness, Father. And we've got so much that's represented here and believers that have come under conviction believers that are still considering and uh, considering and have received some confirmation and approaching conviction, ready to take a stand and make a confession in uh, the pursuit of these things. And so thank you for each stage along the way. We're going to learn about this, Father. We're going to learn about the process of how to identify it and uh, and how to move forward accordingly. And thank you, uh, too, for the blessings you provided in a spiritual gift training ministry, and to have PMW classes, and to teach Greek and Hebrew, and to train and equip pastors and, and uh, evangelists, and all the gifts for the local church. Father, we thank you and we praise you in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.